0: There we go. Okay, very good. I want to start with a question this morning. Want you to think about this: um, who Who are some unsung people in today's society? Um, yeah, who are some unsung people in today's society? Maybe think about that for a little bit. Um, people that don't necessarily get recognized. Um, simple, simple folks. Um, I asked that question at, at Message Community. We meet every Thursday morning um, to go through the message for Sunday, and I asked that, that uh, question at Message Community, and, and it was kind of a blank stare like, well, I don't know who the unsung people are. Um, who are they? It's like it's much easier for me to recognize who the, the sung people are in society. Uh, we think about uh, people like um, political figures, you know, they're in the news all the time. They're always, they're always singing something, um, good, bad, whatever that might be. We think about uh, the movie stars that we follow. I mean, these are the, song, these are the people that get press um, in our society, or musicians, you know. We're f- constantly following musicians, um, in so, yeah, and, or um, the rich. Sometimes the rich... Um, get to have influence in society. Um, People with a lot of followers um, on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, those are the people that are kind of sung in society, will say things like, wow, this guy, he has 40,000 followers on Twitter. That's quite a few, by the way. Um, at least in my book, it is. Man, that's worth worthy of singing about. I have no followers on Twitter. I'm not even on Twitter. So, um, but who are the unsung people in society? The poor, the broken, um, the people who clean this building at nighttime, um, people that just go unnoticed. Um, they don't have any followers on on Twitter. They may not even have a Facebook account. Um, they, they're invisible. Um, and with these shepherds this morning, um, there's, there's no prophecy for the shepherds to fulfill. There's no prophecy about these guys in the Old Testament that the angels are going to appear to the shepherds. Um, so it's not as though God had an agenda to fill when he went and visited the shepherds. So you might feel unsung. Um, You may be wondering if anyone sees you or if anyone cares. And this text this morning is so important because you have a God who sees you. He saw these shepherds, simple people, and God chose to reveal his glory to them unsung by society at this time, not real popular, and yet God chooses the most important announcement that will ever be made. Maybe the second coming of Christ, when everybody will see him, might be more important, but well, maybe not equally important. Um, most important announcement is made to the shepherds. And it should give us hope and it should give us encouragement that that God would reveal himself to simple and ordinary people. Um, and so we look at these, we look at these shepherds and, and, um, and we ask ourselves, so there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Who are these shepherds? Um, and the first point that I want to make this morning is that God's glory revealed to the shepherds illustrates the mission for which Jesus came. God's glory being shown to the shepherds, it reveals and illustrates the mission for which Jesus came. I remember a guy um, <laughs> who raised hogs. How many of you guys grew up in a small town? <laughs> and uh, you know, there's always these hog farmers, you know, in Iowa or in Nebraska. I grew up in Nebraska, and there's these hog farmers. And... and um, and the talk in the town is always, you know, we, we had this small cafe, grew up in a town of 1,000 people, the, and a um, hog farmer uh, would come into the cafe, and you knew when the hog farmer came into the cafe, right? Yeah, because what are you doing? You're, you're going, oh, why did he have to come to coffee this morning, right? You're plugging your nose, you're going, man, he really stinks, you know? And these are just the, think about these shepherds. I mean, they're kind of in a similar situation. They're not raising hogs, they're raising sheep. Sheep stink, don't they? These guys, and and yet God is revealing himself to these shepherds, normal working class folks. Shepherds would be the blue collar um, workers in society at this point. During this this Roman culture, um, the Pharisees had taken the role of shepherd and made it a low position wasn't always that way, but at this time, during this announcement, the shepherds are considered lower-class citizens. Uh, because their job kept them out in the fields, it's likely that they, they didn't have a lot of influence. Um, because they lived with sheep, they couldn't keep all of the religious requirements that the Pharisees had put on people, um, and so they, were, they would have been considered religious outcasts again, In that day, they couldn't keep the Sabbath as set forth by the Pharisees because they had to stay out with their sheep in the field. And yet we know that shepherds have an important place in God's heart. Common, yes. Low class, yes. Um, Some would say not to be trusted, probably not, probably a misperception on shepherds, Um, especially when you consider the place of the shepherd in the Old Testament. Think about some of, the, some of the more famous shepherds in the Old Testament. Who are they? I mean, David. We think about David. Go back farther. Go back farther. Joseph. Abraham. Thank you. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses. David. And there's even references then in the Gospels to Jesus. Jesus being a shepherd, a chief, the chief shepherd, actually. Yes, Deb, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, and so there was a time where shepherds were celebrated. Today, shepherds are celebrated, aren't they? What, what are elders called in the church? What are they called to do? They're called to shepherd the flock of God. And so the shepherd has an important place in God's heart. And yet, at this time, they're common, low class, blue collar, and it's likely that they were out in their fields. And, and whether normally shepherds are in their fields between March and November, raising sheep, um, it's quite possible that they were out in the fields this in the winter time, uh, during the winter here. Um, and and interesting to note that if they were. In fact, out in the wintertime, what kind of sheep would they have been raising? Why were they raising sheep, and what were they raising sheep for? Think about that for a second. What? Yeah. The temple sheep were being raised. What for? <laughs> to celebrate the Passover for a sacrifice. Look at these guys. They're shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their, their sheep at night. And God shows up, and the glory of the Lord, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Isn't it interesting that, um, that Luke would include the fact that they were out in their fields at night, and the glory of the Lord suddenly appears to them. And suddenly, it's no longer dark. <laughs> it's no longer dark at night. The light, the, the light in the sky, would have, it would have lit up and the glory of the Lord would have shone around. Think about that for a second. Think about the importance of light and darkness. See the contrast here. Shepherds are out at night, common, ordinary people, and the glory of God shows up. And light shines all around them glory of the Lord would light up the darkness. Let's consider that for a second. Think about the glory of God. What do you know about the glory of God? This glory is the same glory that Moses would have encountered when he met God and and his face was shown upon him. The same glory, the same glory that, that Paul would have encountered on the road to Damascus when Jesus showed up and the glory of the Lord blinded him. It's amazing, light, darkness. Think about this in, in, in Exodus. I want you to get a picture of God's glory. In, in Exodus thirty three eighteen, 18, Moses says, and Moses asked God, he says, now I want you to show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And we studied this in Romans, this next verse, I will have mercy on whom I want to have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The glory of the Lord is is magnificent. It's too magnificent even for us to see all of God's glory and, and handle it. The Lord then said, there's a place near me where you may stand in the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face may not be seen. Moses requests to see the glory of God. And God chooses to reveal his glory to Moses. So much so that in in the next chapter in Exodus 34, here's what it says. And when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him. The shepherds were terrified, weren't they? When an angel appears and the glory of the Lord is is shining. There is a coming glory of the Lord. Revelation 21 says this. It says that the city does not need the sun to shine on it. Talking about the new Jerusalem that's going to come out of heaven. It doesn't need the sun. We don't need the sun anymore. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. That's what it says. There is a coming glory of God. Son, we don't need it anymore. It's amazing. This glory is important. This light is important that's coming. So much so that John, when he accounts for the birth of Jesus Christ, which is not really the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming and the incarnation of God, he says it this way. He says, the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. Here are these shepherds sitting in their fields in darkness, protecting their sheep, and the light of God comes to them, shines upon them, simple, ordinary people, experiencing the glory of God. That illustrates the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus came To proclaim the message that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus would walk into Nazareth and he would say this, he would say that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're going to talk about that in a second, the Lord's favor. Light and darkness. And God comes and he brings light. Jesus comes to bring light. We we light this candle of joy this morning. Why light the candle? Because it's a representation of Jesus bringing light to a dark world. Think about this for a second. God's glory... Where is it normally, what is God's glory normally associated with at this time? The temple, thank you. Normally the glory of the Lord is is associated with the temple. The glory of God would come to the temple. The priests would be a part of this, this glory. The religious people would be a part of this glory. And now the glory of the Lord shows up in a field. Simple shepherds. And the glory of God shows up in your life as well. Simple, ordinary people. Notice the pronouncement here. He says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I mean, there is fear when you are in the presence of an angel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The second point that I want you to catch on to this, this morning is the angel pronounced the identity of the Savior of the world. Don't miss this, this is important. The angel was pronouncing the identity of the Savior of the world, Messiah, Christ the King. And he starts by saying, hey, I've got good news for you. In the Old Testament, this good news idea would would represent the preaching of a favorable message. In the New Testament, it's referred specifically to the gospel. I have a gospel. I have the gospel message for you. And it's so important. This is so important. The Savior of the world peace Jesus, Messiah, the titles that are given to Jesus in these verses. We have to understand the context and who Luke is writing to. Do you know who Luke's primary audience was? Matthew wrote to an audience and Luke wrote to the audience. Only two birth accounts of Jesus. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the Gentiles. Think about who the Gentiles are at this point in society, the Romans. Why does he start off in Luke 1 with Caesar Augustus? He's writing in this in that context to this audience. And so he says Jesus Christ is going to be the savior of the world. Let me ask you a question. Who is the savior of the known world at this point? thank you, Caesar Augustus would be looked at as the savior of the world at this point. Listen, listen to this. Um, here's what it says. Providence has filled, this is um, quoted from Graham Stanton. He says this, Providence has filled Augustus with divine power for the benefit of humanity, and in her benefic- beneficence has granted us and those who will come after us, listen to this, a Savior who has made war to cease, Pax Romana, and who shall put everything in peaceful order. And Caesar, when he was manifest, transcended the expectations of all who had anticipated the good news, not only by surpassing the benefits conferred by his predecessors, but by believing no expectation of surpassing him To those who would come after him, with the result that, listen real closely here, the birthday of our God, lowercase, signaled the beginning of good news for the world because of him. This was written about Caesar Augustus. And the angel comes to the shepherds and says, I have good news as well. I have good news of great joy. Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming, and he is the Savior of the world. He will be praised worldwide, and his peace will last, and his reign will last forever. And he gives the title, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Maybe fully describe this as the Sovereign. The angel proclaimed the true Savior of the world. And that true Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the one that that lives on and on forever in our hearts. Caesar Augustus' time came to an end. (laughs) He was conquered. Yes, there was a moment of peace for him. And his Pax Romana, there was a moment of it. Jesus Christ comes to bring lasting peace. And he comes to bring it to you your hearts. Do you know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he says, and this will be a sign to you that you'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Angels are God's messengers, and they generally announce a sign. Here's your message, shepherds, and here's how it's going to be verified. You're going to walk into Bethlehem, and you're going to find a baby wrapped and and lying in a manger. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would would say this to a bunch of shepherds? Like, isn't that special? Like, isn't God amazing? God comes in a way that these shepherds could identify with. This baby wrapped and lying in a manger. Shepherds were familiar with mangers, weren't they? That Jesus would come in that way to these men is nothing short of of awesome and nothing short of divine and nothing short of God's sovereignty and God's plan. He has it all figured out. And then the one angel is joined by many angels. It says in verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Third idea, the angels demonstrated the appropriate response to God's gracious gift. The appropriate response to the gift of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is worship. We got a Christmas card in the mail, um, and it had an angel on it. You guys familiar with those angel cards at Christmas, right? What do they look like? Yeah, babies with wings, and maybe they've got this kind of stretched out like this, and they've got that uh, that trumpet in their mouth, and they're kind of um, it's really cute. Yeah, thanks, Deb. You just illustrated my point. Angels are not cute. They are not cute. Angels are powerful. Angels come with swords, complete with swords. They are no small thing. There's a reason that these shepherds are terrified. Think about who a shepherd was and what they would be doing. Shepherds are the ones that kill bears. They're the ones that kill lions with a rod, almost with their bare hands. These are not girly men. These are men's men, and they are terrified. Think about that for a second. They look cute on cards, but really, if we were to to draw, I should probably talk to Dayspring in Arkansas and say, hey, we need some real angels on these cards, because this is ridiculous. That is not who angels are. Look at this, look at the words that Luke uses here in verse 13. He says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared. A great company. What does that tell you? What is a company? It's a military term. Literally, it means that the armies of heaven are coming with the announcement of this Messiah. This announcement of the identity of the Savior of the world. A great company, a military force is coming with this announcement. A heavenly knighthood, as the Amplified Version says. Jesus isn't alone at his incarnation. We think, oh, Jesus, he's not there by himself. The armies of heaven are standing beside their commander, God himself, Jesus. This is the most important event that will happen in history. And you've got to know this, that there is a war that's taking place behind the scenes. So much so that John would write in Revelation 12 about this. This is important stuff, this incarnation of the Messiah. There's a war that's taking place between Satan and Michael, the angels. But there's one that stands above the angels, and that is God himself. God is in his own category. Sometimes I think we get this idea that Satan and God are are at war with each other. Who is Satan at war with? Satan is an angel created at war with the angels of heaven. And God stands over all of that as supreme. And this incarnation, this final blow that would come at at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, (laughs) Satan is defeated. He's been given his final blow. The angels know it. Well, we're not sure that the angels might not know that. Um, But we know that, and our response should be worship. The angels are filled with joy. There's there's great joy that's taking place here. During Jesus' ministry, (laughs) he would say this, and I just say this, there is a coming of the Messiah again. You know who's accompanying him? The armies of heaven. Matthew 16, Jesus gave us this this word. He said this to his disciples. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with who? With the angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. There is another coming of the Messiah. And the angels are going to accompany him again. And they're still going to be big. They're still going to be terrifying. They're still going to have swords. But for now, the angels' response to them, to this announcement, is glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest heaven, way out there where God is. Jesus would go unsung by most of the world. Um, The light shines in the darkness, the darkness doesn't understood it, but the angels would demonstrate the appropriate response to God's gracious gift they would respond by saying glory to God in the highest heaven. And then this is the message for us this morning. This is the message for you. Peace on earth for everyone? No. Peace on earth on whom his favor rests. This peace is different than the than the temporary peace of the Roman Empire. It is a lasting peace. This peace is God's full blessing. Let me show you my glory and show you all the goodness and let it come in front of of me. All the Lord's goodness is wrapped up in this statement of peace. And God's peace is an offer. The offer's out there for everyone. But the peace of God comes to who his favor rests, to those that respond to God in worship like the angels did. That peace would come. And just like the shepherds, God God has chosen to reveal his glory to you. My prayer is that I've been praying that God would reveal his glory to you personally This morning, just like these folks that are going to get baptized, God showed up in their lives, revealed himself, revealed his glory to them, and their response was, God, I need you. I need the peace that you bring me. Yes, I want to be baptized. I want to show the world what Jesus Christ has done in me. God wants to do that for you this morning. He wants to bring you peace. John 1.14 says it this way. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way. It says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after he had provided the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What are you going to do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Will he be your Messiah? Will he be your Prince of Peace? Will he be the one that you call Lord, Master, Savior, God, Messiah? Will you bow your knees before him? Don't be afraid, (laughs) because he has good things for you. Will you respond to God's gracious gift of Jesus, or will he continue to go unsung in your life? Will he continue to be a thing that you do on Sunday morning, maybe, maybe, Um, or will he become the most important thing to you? Let's pray. Father, we, we're in awe, God, of your word. We're in awe, God, how every piece of this word, every word that's written in this scripture, God, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness, God, so that we can be fully equipped for every good work. And God, I thank you for this account of the shepherds. Thank you, God, that you come to ordinary people, people who are humble, people without any sort of pride that you come. And Jesus, we're so grateful, God, that you come to our hearts. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we worship and sing and we experience and witness these baptisms, God, um, that you would be speaking to our hearts and and testifying um, to us, Lord. And so, Jesus, we pray these things in, in your name. Amen.